We are the sweet smell to God. Because the way we're living, the fragrance that sets off from us by the way we live, that it's a sweet aroma. And people don't mind being around us. You ever recognize there are some odors? Boy, you just have a delight being around. And there's some odors you can't run away from. And when you get a good whiff of it, sometimes our lives are like that. People are trying to get away from us rather than drawing near to us. And he says, again, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved or those who have life and those who are perishing. Two different aromas. A person that is dying has a certain odor. Even in the breath. If you've ever been in a room of a person who's dying, there's a different aroma, a different fragrance, a different smell than a person who is alive and living. Big difference. How do we stay out of sin? How do we stay out of sin? And how do we become a sweet aroma pleasing to God and to others. How does that take place? One, learn not to take advice from ungodly people about how you are to live a Christian life. Now, I want to emphasize how you are to live your Christian life. All advice from ungodly people is not bad. Some of them can help us with our finances. Some of us can help us with the maintenance of our cars and fixing our cars. Some of us can help us with doing some other things around our house and so forth. So all advice from godly people, from ungodly people, is not bad. But when it comes to living your Christian life and the things that are primary in your Christian life, it should not be from the counsel of the ungodly. And sad to say, that's where much of our counseling come from. You come about marriage and you start having problems in marriage. You don't go to Christian friends, you go to who? Ungodly friends and start telling them and they start advising, you all leave that person. You all get away from that person. They just, man, they just using you. Understand, in a marriage relationship, you use each other. <laughs> you depend on each other. <laughs> you wait on each other. You argue with each other. <laughs> you make up with each other. <laughs> you know? But when you listen to the ungodly about marriage, you get the wrong advice. And then when it comes to money, about being a steward of God, what is it that the ungodly know how to be a steward 
when it comes to the things of God. For the ungodly do not see that his wealth is from God. The Christian sees that all that he has come from God. So we handle our wealth a little differently. We disperse our wealth a little differently because of the difference counsel that we receive. And when it comes to the area of friends and so forth, uh, we find ourselves choosing our friends differently because we're godly and ungodly. Understand, you may have some ungodly friends, and I have some ungodly friends, but the thing is this here. I can't always go where my ungodly friends go. That doesn't mean I can't visit them at their home. I can visit them at their home until they're ready to go, oop, oop, or there's time to go. It's okay to visit with them as long as they're with their wife and not with their girlfriend and and so forth. There are boundaries as Christians we have to place around ourselves to protect ourselves if we're going to stay out of sin. And if you're not willing to set those boundaries for yourself, you're going to constantly be slipping into sin, falling into sin, and you're not going to even be aware of the presence of sin. And you know one of the things if you look at Christians today is our work habits. We become just like the world. It tells us not to work unto man with eye service or with a false smile, and then when they leave, we don't do anything. But we work as unto the Lord. And whatever our hands find to do, we do it with all of our might and all of our strength. But we become much like the world. We want to take it as easy as possible. We don't want to work hard at all. Go to Psalms 1. Psalms chapter 1. Look what it says, and this is what is missing in a lot of Christians' lives. And they can't figure out why they're sad, why they're not prospering, why they're not moving ahead, why things in their life isn't changing. They can't figure that out. The psalm starts off saying, blessed is the man, blessed is the man. The word, the word there, blessed, is happy. Hilariously happy. That this person is happy, happy, joyful. This person is just excited about their life. And it says, happy is that person. Happy is that person. Happy, happy is the man. Now, now, now catch what he said. Because this is what we don't recognize. Is something different about this person that causes him to be happy. He says, happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, now catch that. The counsel of who? Of the wicked. He's not getting advice from the wicked. He's not getting advice from the unsaved. He's not getting advice from the worldly. And he talks about this whole area of that counsel. 
And oftentimes when we see a lot of our young children and our young folks in trouble, it's not because they've heard the counsel of other brothers and sisters in the Lord, it's that they've taken the counsel of the world of the unsaved friends that are around them. Yeah, go ahead and check up. It's okay. Go ahead and just live together. You love them, don't you? That's all right. But what they're not looking at is this. The results down the road. Because the results down the road, what God guarantees is this, is destruction and misery and unhappiness. You cannot take what God has said is a right way of doing something and do it wrongly and expect you're going to be happy. It will not add up. It will not add up. And I'll take anybody's life and put it alongside a Christian who has walked with the Lord. And when you find a person who will walk with the Lord, you will find a person. Yes, there's been some hurt. There's been some pain. But there's much more joy and happiness in that life than in a person's life that does not know the Lord. Why? Because God says... Blessed is the man or happy is the man who will not take the counsel of the ungodly. Either God's lying or he's telling the truth. Now, when we understand that whole process of who I listen to, where am I getting my advice? Where am I getting my philosophy for life? Who am I listening to? How many of you listen to these shows when these people go on to prove whose baby it is? I I mean, you got three or four of those shows on all the time. And it's a mess. It's just a literal mess. And and we have people giving their counsel, giving their so-called worldly wisdom. And lives are just messed up with no direction, not knowing where to go or who to turn to. In Romans 12, 2, he tells us, do not conform to the things of this world. Another challenge that goes right along with Psalms 1. That we don't conform or we don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. We don't sit where they are. We don't stand in their way. And the word there in the psalm where it talks about sit or stand in the way is that you're not actually participating or taking part of. And oftentimes we find ourselves participating and taking part of. And in Colossians it tells us, don't be caught up with the deceitful philosophy. Understand philosophy is always about behaviors. It's always about behaviors. It has to do with our conduct, the way that we act, the way that we live, the things that we do. Remember what Psalms 1 said. 
Blessed is the man who does not take the counsel of the ungodly. Basic world principles. Number one, get all you can without working. That's a basic philosophy today. If I can get the food stamps, get them. Hey, I've been on food stamps. I'm not against food stamps. I've been on them. When I was in school with three children and only worked at Sears, maybe I got 15 hours this week or 10 hours. That wasn't going to feed five of us. So I was able to get food stamps. And we used those food stamps to help us get through school. It was not a lifelong thing. We had to apply for help when we was in school. Elaine had to have surgery. Three or four churches helped us out and send down money to help pay the bill. We didn't have no insurance, and the government helped out some. There's always times that we need help. So that's not what I'm talking about. The thing that I'm talking about is that you don't want to do a thing to feed yourself, to house yourself, to clothe yourself, and you're expecting somebody else to do it all. That's not the Christian life. Christian life is very simple. If you do not work, you do not We had a young boy in my home when Elaine and I were helping with children. And I brought him outside in the back and I told him, what I want you to do is get the grass out between the sidewalk here, the, the little runs between the sidewalk. I'm not going to work. I didn't come here to work. I said, I'll tell you what, we're going to go out to dinner later on. Now it's up to you what you're going to eat. The state says, I got to feed you. I don't care if they serve peanut butter or a hot dog. Or you can sit and have a steak with us or some pork chops. Now you choose, but it's going to be based on how you work today. Amen. We have lost in our country, even in the Christian world, a work ethic. You ask people around the church to do something. Boy, we'll take off running. You know. And that saying, it ought to be different. But it's true in the church. Church statistics says only 10% of the church work. Why 90% play. It ought to be just the other way around. 90% of the people of the church ought to be willing to work, roll up their sleeves to do anything for the Lord. Do anything to keep the house of God. But usually it only winds up being about 10%. The second one, if you do, if you do work, the philosophy of the world is do as little as possible. Don't let that man use you. Don't let nobody take advantage of you. Don't let nobody treat you like a slave. Don't let nobody overwork you. Well, you're the one who said you'll work for this wage. But the world's philosophy is, if you do work, do as little as possible. Do as little as possible. The measure of our success, a letter to my children and yours. 
Excellent book. There is no free lunch. Don't feel entitled. And this is what happens to a lot of us. We get this feeling that says, I'm entitled to this. Hey. I mean, when I was a young man, and uh, everybody at that time, there's some, some of y'all won't even know the word that I'm using. They was called shine tone coats. And I wanted me a shine tone. And my mom said, you want a shine tone? Because it was coming winter. Said, yeah, my, I want a shine tone. I want to be, everybody's buying a shine tone. Took me down to the Miracle Mart. Well, let's go to Robert Hall. At least that's a step up. But went to the Miracle Mart. Wouldn't buy me one with the buttons on it. Because it cost a little more. Got a zipped up shine tone. A fake shine tone. Like that imitation leather today. And she looked and she said, you're getting a coat that's going to keep you warm. Be thankful. You haven't worked for it. Your dad did. There's no free lunch. Don't feel entitled to anything you didn't sweat or struggle for. Boy, we've lost that today. You know. She goes on, she says, set goals and work quietly and systematically towards them. And young people need to learn how to do that. We need to learn how to set goals and work towards them. She goes on and she says, you can achieve much in life if you don't mind doing the work and giving others the credit. Catch that. You do the work and it doesn't matter who gets the credit. It doesn't really matter as long as we're all what? Moving forward. A lot of people want to talk about being on a team, a team effort, a team this, a team that, but watch on the team. I did it. I made this tackle. I threw this pass. I did that. You wouldn't have been able to throw the pass if it wasn't for a line protecting you. You may not have caught the ball when somebody blocking and doing a little interference there for you. We will work, but we sometimes want all the what? And we're not willing to say, Joe helped me. Mary really pitched in when I really needed it. Giving other people credit for what you achieved. I can go through my life from a Mr. Beeler to Mr. Baylor to different people that helped me up through. Because I didn't do it all by myself. He says, you can achieve much in life if you don't mind doing the work and giving others the credit. You know what you do and the Lord knows what you do. And that's all that matters. Another little tip here. Good little book here. Assign yourself. How many of you assign yourself? My wife would like this one because she's always trying to get me to assign myself. 
She always tell me now, if, if you see it on the floor, pick it up. If you see dishes need to be washed, wash them. If, if you see the clothes need to be washed, wash them. If you, you know. See. But after 40, after 48 years of being spoiled, I don't know what she expects. <laughs> but let's go a little bit further. It says, assign yourself. Don't wait around for your boss or your coworker or spouse to direct you to do what you are able to figure out and do for yourself. Don't do just a little as don't do just as little as you can to get by. 25 important points that she give about life that she believes young people need to learn or people who are going to be successful need to learn. Excellent little book. Goes on and says, the counsel of this world. Because, see, happy is the man who do not take the counsel of the ungodly. And everywhere in this world, it is telling everybody as early as possible, have as much sex as you can. Don't worry about the diseases. Don't worry about if you catch this or if you catch that or if you damage yourself here or if this happens. Have as much sex and fun as you can with all that you can, whether it be men, women, or whoever. We see it on TV constantly. A man with this woman one time, then with another woman the next time, then with this one here, and a woman with this one, and then with one over here. And the world just says, just have sex. You don't have to be responsible. Then the fourth one. Look for others to clean up your mess. Isn't that something? We make a mess of things and we can blame everybody else. And the people we blame supposed to somehow jump in there and clean it up. <laughs> because it's their fault that I got a messed up life. That's the world's advice. But people don't see that you messed up your own life. People don't see you made your own mess by running your mouth. Sometimes you're trying to tell people, shh, shh, and the mouth's just a running. The fifth one. And boy, this is something that really tears up homes. Be loyal only to yourself. Care about only yourself. Don't have to worry about your brother or sister. Don't have to worry about your mom or dad. Don't have to worry about anybody else. You don't have to worry about your co-worker. The only person you're out to see about in this life is you. Be loyal. Commit it. Love only yourself. That's a fool's advice. For the scripture said, no man liveth unto himself, no man dieth unto himself. 
Number six, this is the only life you have. Make it a party. Party, party, party. Some of our young folks would die if you took their phones. Their world would end. And the sad part about it, if you watch them during the day, and they might look up to have a conversation with you. So it's being said, we are losing the ability to communicate or hold a conversation with other human beings because we're texting so much. We're in the game thing so much. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Yeah, just, just party and just do your thing and enjoy life. The problem is you don't know when life is going to end for you. If you looked at this week's paper, you saw a 15-year-old that died. If you look in the paper, you saw a little six-year-old that passed on. You assume that you're going to live another day. You assume you're going to live another month. You assume you're going to live another year. So you're trying to get it all that you can get right now. And you somehow, somebody's taught you, this is the only life you should be concerned about. Wrong. I want to pick up in verse 18 in this parable. It says, then he said, and this is Jesus speaking, this is what I'll do. I'm sorry. It's what the man is saying. His whole thing is that, boy, it's his bonds. They're, they're, they're full, and he want to put up more for himself. The whole concept is about greed. And the one brother wants another brother to share with him or whatever. And, and the whole thing comes down that Jesus says, who am I to arbitrate between you? But he does give him this parable about one's greed and so forth. And he says, this man says to himself, he, then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barn. And build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. That all life is, is about eating, drinking, and being merry or partying. There's more to life than that. But for some of us, that's all life is. Some of us, we don't live from Sunday to Sunday. We live to Friday night to Saturday, don't we? Our big day is Friday night or Saturday night, not Sunday. And the whole process is that we take the philosophy of the world, party, live, 
for this is the only life you have. Eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy yourself. Turn to Psalms 125, 3 and 4. Psalms 125. There's this whole area that oftentimes we will find ourselves in, in turmoil trying to figure out. He says, if you really allow wicked people to be in your life and around your life consistently, though you may be a person who is saved or you're a Christian, you're going to wind up going their way you're going to wind up living like they live. You're going to wind up doing what they do. So he says, the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. For then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Catch that. The righteous might do to do evil. The righteous might do this to do evil. That If you're with them all the time, you're seeing their behavior all the time. You're involved with them all the time. You're going to wind up doing what they do. King James simply says it in this manner, for the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous. Least the righteous put forth their hand unto iniquity or wickedness. How do I keep out of sin? And this is where a lot of Christians get into trouble. Waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. To wait on the Lord. To wait on the Lord for the right mate. To wait on the Lord to fulfill the needs or the desires. To wait on the Lord to provide. To wait on the Lord not to run ahead of him. Not start doing your own thing. Not to shout out, I'll do it my way. But to wait on the Lord and claim his promises. See, it's difficult to wait, isn't it? Because we are not a very patient people. When I say I want something, when do I want it? Yes. And we have learned that from the world. We even hear it on our advertisement. You deserve it. And you deserve it now. Bad credit, no credit. Come on and get it. The whole thing is this thing about being anxious. And the scripture says be anxious for nothing. But we want it right now. You take a 16-year-old, they can't wait to be 25 years old. Isn't it strange how things run around? 
Faith used to tell me, I can't wait to get out of here. Now she's right next door. <laughs> Ran over to Columbus. Ran to Illinois. Ran to Pennsylvania. Back to Illinois. And somehow, winding up right next door to be caretakers of what she was trying to run away from. Isn't that something? Tyler couldn't wait to be grown. Now Tyler grown. And now wish, boy, I didn't have to go to work. <laughs> now wish I didn't have to make a house payment. Hey. Now know what it is to have a couple of kids constantly on her finance list. Hey. We can't wait to get to the areas of life that are going to come. A young man can't wait to be grown. It's amazing that oftentimes we just can't wait to get to where, the, where, where we should be and, and understand that Hey, if I wait for the right woman, I will have children and, and I'll have a life. But when you run out here and have four or five children everywhere, you just messed up your life. Because you're going to pay for those children in the next 18 years. And when you get to be 30 years old, you're going to be tired of having somebody take money out of your check. And when you get 35 years old, you're going to become mad and angry because somebody's taking money out of your check. And then when you get 40 and 50 years old, you feel like you've never been able to have anything because you've been taking care of two or three kids that you know nothing about. And you're angry. And you're bitter. And what young men don't understand it's what Galatians 6 said. You'll weep what you sow. He says, wait on the Lord. Be patient. Wait on him. Go to Psalms 130, verses 5 and 6. Psalms 130. People, we can't rush God and we need to understand that we don't want to rush him we don't want to run ahead of him so in Psalms 130 verse 5 says, says I wait for the Lord and then he says it again my soul waits and in his word I put my hope in his word, I put my hope. I'm waiting, but I'm reassured and I'm encouraged because of his word, because of his promises. But I'm waiting and I'm patient because I know my God 
is more than able. So I'm waiting. And I'm assured of it. In Philippians 4, 6, many of you know it says, be anxious for nothing. And then when you get into verses 11 and 12, Paul says, I have learned to be content in all situations of life. When you are not content in the situation in which you find yourself in, and you try to break out of it, you're going to make a mess of your life. Because where you are right now is where God has you. (laughs) And when you try to run away from it, you just got to repeat it. (laughs) And you're going to make a mess of what you're trying to run from. Psalms 27. Psalms 27. And verse 14. He simply says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. So I'm not waiting, doing nothing. I'm being strong. Why? Because in my waiting, as I'm exercising patience, Satan is coming after me. Satan is going to do all he can do to cause me to lose patience. Satan's going to even give me suggestions. You ought to do this and you ought to do that. And and even the advice from my friends are going to come. About what I should do. And the Lord says, be strong. And what the word is there, be encouraged. Be encouraged. How? By the word of God and his promises. That every good and perfect gift cometh from where? From God. Just wait on him. Just wait on him. Then over in 37, go over to Psalms 37. Look at verse 9. 37, verse 9. He says, For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Boy, wait on him. Because whatever God has for you, he says, you're going to inherit it. You're not going to rush him. But the promise is, you will inherit it. Go to verse 34. Because God's promise is, if you'll wait, you'll see it. If you wait, you'll see it. Len couldn't tell you how many times I pray at times. Lord, and I'm asking God this question in my prayer. Lord, will I see the new building? Lord, will I preach in that new building? Lord, will this happen? Lord, will that happen? And the Lord just says, wait. And I have to just go back on his promise that God's doing something. God's in charge of this plan. God's in charge of this vision. God's doing it step by step. God's opening this door. God's opening that door. God's doing this or God's doing that. God's doing it. Now look at the size of this congregation. Look at us. We made our last payment on that house in the back. 
first of the month. Paid the house off in about five or six months. Only God could do that. Only God could have done that. And the surprising thing is this. They saw the other bills are paid too. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. And sometimes I think, Lord, it's not big enough to do this or to do that. And when you get in the scripture, you see, Lord doesn't never do anything with big crowds. He always do it with small groups. Gideon saying, Lord, I need a big army. And the Lord breaks him down to 300 men. Because God is at work. God is at work. Go to verse 34. Because the Lord's promise is that you'll see it if you wait on him. Look what he says there in verse 34. Wait for the Lord and keep his ways. So while I'm waiting, I'm not doing anything. Satan's trying to bother me. Satan's trying to hinder me. And what the Lord says, be strong and keep my ways. Don't allow Satan to derail you. Don't allow Satan to get you off the track. Wait on me. Be strong. Keep doing my will. Keep living for me. Keep praying it through. Keep working at it. He says, wait for the Lord and keep his ways. He will exalt you in, he will exalt you to inherit the land. What does Peter 5 talk about? Peter talks about humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And in God's time, he will exalt you. He will exalt you. He will lift you up. He'll give you whatever he wants to give you. God brings it to you. And he simply says, wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off. And look what he's promised. You will see it. You'll see it. You'll see it. If you have the patience to wait. And allow God to do his perfect work. How do I stay out of sin? Wait on the Lord and don't run ahead of him. Wait on the Lord for the right man. Wait on the Lord for the right job. Wait on the Lord for the right thing. I don't have to be unethically dishonest or trickery to gain in this world. And the world says you got to do this. You got to lie. You got to cheat. You can't be ethical and move ahead. And God says, keep doing it my way and just wait on me for that promotion. Keep doing it my way and wait upon me and I'll give you that new car. Keep doing it my way. Wait upon me and I'll give you the right man, the right woman in your life. Wait upon me. Just wait. Go to John 3, 27. Because John states something here that oftentimes we forget. He says, 
some of John's men were complaining about Jesus Christ. And they were saying, hey, your disciples are going over there. They're going over this. And, and this is happening. Listen to what John says. John says 320. To this John replied, a man receives only what is given him. Catch where it comes from. From heaven. Even the wicked doesn't understand that principle. The sinner will receive no more than what God allows. And sometimes God will give you great prizes just to take it away from you later to show you that he's the one in charge of it. Because, see, God wants you to recognize something. Your hope is in him, not in man. Your hope is in him, not in wealth. Your hope is in him, not in titles and positions. Your hope is in him. How to stay out of sin. Last point. Change your friends. Change your friends. There are friends that you have close to you sometime that you don't need to have them close to you. You need to understand that if you are a Christian and you got a bunch of worldly friends, the reality is this. You're not following Scripture, nor are you doing the will of God. You're a Christian, and sometimes we call them nominal Christians. You're a Christian in name only. Because nothing in your life really shows that you love the Lord or care anything about God. It had nothing to do with age. It has to do with heart and mind. It has to do whether or not, if you know for yourself, if you really accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and you really love him, and that you're desperately after him. First Corinthians 15, 33. He simply says... <clears throat> Let me get there. Do not be misled. Catch this. Because, see, friends will mislead friends. Friends will mislead friends. Years ago, when I was a young man, and I was attending West Junior High School, and then my parents moved up here on Packard Drive, from what they used to call down in the valley. And I, went, I was sent to Simon Perkins. And, and I had a friend that him and I was very close. And um, another friend and I who I met at Simon Perkins, boy, I took him back down to show one of my old buddies and so forth. And my friend... Mom and dad wasn't home. But him and another guy had some young girls in their bedroom. And you can imagine what was going on. So as my friend invited us upstairs, and won't use the words that he used, but basically said, you want to go in? 
Back then, they used to use the word train. And I said, no. Just wanted to stop by and see you. And this was a close friend. But the last time I saw him, Friends will lead you into trouble. And friends will take you places where you know you shouldn't be. My brother was locked up for three months because he was in the car with his friends. And out in Medina, when his friends got out, they went and robbed a gas station while he sat in the car. But the police, when they stopped him, locked up all three of them. Friends will take you and do things that you did not consent to, but you will be in just as much trouble. Friends are something you have to gauge and you have to watch. Because the first thing it says there is don't be misled. Don't be misled. When you pick up a friend, I don't care what age you are, listen for this. What is the respect that they have for their parents? It's a telltale sign. What is the relationship they have with their parents? Go to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. Verses 11 and 12. Because there's only two types of relationships that friends or young people or even older people have with their parents. Either it's a rebellious rocky one where there's never been a healing or been asked for forgiveness or corrections have been made and you can be 40 and I, and I find this in life. You can be 40 and 50 years old still rebelling against your mom and dad. Or you'll find a high respect. Period. You're going to find either rebelliousness or respect. Period. That tells you a lot about the friend or the person you're getting ready to get involved with. So in verse 11 it says, there are those who curse their fathers. When you hear a young man or a young woman really downgrade their parents, now understand that there is no perfect parents. And parents do make huge mistakes. But he says, they curse their father and do not bless their mothers. There's a rough relationship here that needs some healing. Now come into verse 12 with me. 
Those are, now catch what is going to be said. Those who are pure in their own eyes. All this stuff happened to me and they formed their counsel and their view of life by what took place in that home or in their relationship with their parents. And all their counsel pours out of that type of relationship. He says, those who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed. Pure in their own eyes because what they say, what? Is right. But they have not been healed. They have not been cleansed. They have not been forgiven. They have not taken care of that thing that is a canker sore in their own heart. But look what they're going to do. They're going to give counsel to other friends. And yet are not cleansed of their own filth. Psalms 27, just a page over, gives by end in there. Verse 17. This is what should happen in ownership, in, in a relationship. That's why he says, don't be misled. There is no such thing as neutral in a relationship. There is no such thing that you're going to stay the same in a relationship. Either a relationship helps you become better or a relationship helps you become worse. Either a relationship helps you to improve yourself or a relationship is taking something away from you. He says, as iron sharpens iron, as friends run together, they're building each other. They're sharpening each other. They're having an effect upon each other. And hopefully it's very positive. As iron sharpens iron, to one man sharpens another. We sharpen each other. I need Jasper to challenge me. I need to challenge him. I need Brother Beecher to challenge me. I need to challenge Why? We're sharpening each other. I need Mel to challenge me. And I need to challenge him. We need to talk. We need to communicate. What are we doing? We're sharpening each other. We're building each other. We're challenging each other. Friends, if that friend is not building you, then that friend is leading you the wrong way. If that friend is not something that's very positive in your life, then it's a lot of negative. And some friends you get around, it's depressing the moment you say hi. Poison just begins to pour out. Bitterness just begins to come out. Anger just spills out. That's not wholesome. That's not good for you. Go over to verse 9. Same chapter. 
27, verse 9. This is what a friend should really do. <clears throat> We're back to that aroma and that fragrance. Perfume and incense brings joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest, what? Counsel. The advice of a good friend really brings joy. The good words of a good friend, the encouragement, brings joy. And it's like a sweet-smelling fragrance. It's like a perfume. It's a fresh breath of air. And that's what a friend really does for you. When they step into your presence, boy, it's a joy. It's relaxing. It's pleasant. It's refreshing. It's renewal. And it's not one of these things, why are they here? Why did they come? Why did I do this to myself? He simply says again, perfume and incense brings joy to the heart. Boy, we are getting up in age. You who've been married for a while, when you know the wife's put on a certain kind of, and you get a little whiff of it, boy, do you get a smile on your face? You get a little joy in your heart? Hey, it does something. It excites. The whole thing is that that's what a friend should be, that when they come in, it's a fresh fragrance. It causes the joy and the excitement to take place. And he says, the counsel is as you sit and communicate with each other. What you're learning from each other is refreshing and encouraging. How do you stay out of sin? Take a good, close look at the people you associate with. And then, I'm not saying you got to drop them, but know which ones to keep close and know which ones to keep at a distance. Know that. Because everybody does not have your best interests at heart. And I hate to say this. A lot of people who say they are your friends are only using you. That's all. A young man get a car, he got all kind of friends. But let him ask one of them for some gas money. 
Let him lose the car. He lost the friends. Let a young man who had money. Boy. And don't have a problem loaning 50 cent here or a dollar here or a dollar. He'll have all kind of friends. But if he don't have no money, he don't have no friends. Really know who your friends are who really care for you and love you, who will build you up. A good friend will tell you you're wrong. A good friend won't take you someplace where they know that they will endanger you. A good friend will not take you somewhere where they know it infringes on what you believe. A good friend, if you say you're a Christian man and you have a friend, he's not going to take you out to a bar with some go-go girls and everything. He may take you somewhere else to get a cup of coffee or get a glass of tea or to have a good old milkshake, but not where he knows it's offensive to you. You have to work at keeping yourself out of sin. Nobody else is going to do it. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, oh God, that Lord, that you are one who forgives us of sin. And we're so thankful, oh God, that the scripture allows us to know that if we sin, Lord, we have an advocate with the Father. But Lord, impress upon us our responsibility to know sin, to stay out of sin, to run from sin, and to understand that, Lord, there are times we have to change the people that we run with. There are times in life that we're going to have to just wait upon you and not be anxious for those things, oh God, that we so desire and that we want. And that, Lord, there's going to be the times that, Lord, we're going to have to truly look for godly counsel. We're going to have to look for men and women who have our best interests. Those who are willing to speak truth into our life. Not just say the things that we want to hear. But that Lord that we're really willing to hear. What thus saith the Lord from your word. And that Lord we're willing to hear godly counsel and not the advice of this world. For the wisdom of man is only foolishness unto God. And I pray, Father, that you would give your people a heart desire to take the counsel of godly people and that we would learn, O oh God, to just wait upon you for those things that we desire in life, those things we want in life. And that, Lord, 
we won't be misled by bad companions. We'll know how to pick our friends, even those within the church life, because everybody in the church is not Christians. 